Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Our attention to the book of Judges one last time. We're going to look in Judges chapter number 17 and read a few verses there and then in chapter number 18. As we closed out last week, if you were to turn back to chapter number 16, we saw in verse number 21 and 22 that Samson was captured. Uh, verse number 21, But the Philistines took him and put, his, put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. In verse number 22, How be it the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaven. We saw that they had celebrated him. They had celebrated what they felt like was their defeat over Samson. And because of that, they had it through a party, through a feast. Where did all this, and we looked at this last week, where did all this contention between the Philistines and Samson begin? It all began at a party, and it all ended at a party. Uh, as, he, as his hair begins to grow, we see in the final portion of chapter number 16 that Samson prays once again to the Lord. He understands. He finally comes to a point that he understands where his real strength lies. His real strength was not necessarily in the growth of his hair. It was in the God who he served. That's where his strength was. And when he realized that, he prayed out to God and asked God for one last time that God would give him strength. This is the last judge that we have that is in the book of Judges. We have some other men that come on the scene, some other things that happen, some other chapters to finish out the book, but this is the last judge for all practical purposes. Spurgeon made a statement about Samson and about what had befallen him, what had taken place in his life, and this is what Spurgeon had to say. He said, whatever the grace of God may do for us, it cannot make sin a right thing or a safe thing or a permissible thing. It is evil, only evil, and that continually. Samson got in a position where because of his lack of following God, he ended up in this place. And God uses him even in his death to start the beginning of the end of 
the Philistines. Not only that, he was the beginning of the promises that was going to be and what was going to happen. So we're going to pick up in chapter number 17. We're going to pick up in verse number 6, and we'll read down through uh, chapter number 18 and verse number 1. The Bible says here in verse number 6 of chapter number 17, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And there was a young man of Bethlehem, Judea, of the family of Judah, whose name, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judea, and sojourned where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judea, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as, as of his sons. And Micah concentrated the, consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in, his, in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now know I the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Then it says here in verse number 18, that statement again, In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in, for unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to come together. As has already been said, we've come together corporately, and we've come together for one reason, and that is to focus our attention one more time upon the grace of God and upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be reminded once again of your promises and what you have for us and what you are to us and what we are to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we open here in verse in chapter number 17 and chapter number 18, there's something that has taken place, and it has been a progressive thing. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen at the snap of a finger. But there's something that has happened that has brought them to this place. And it is the fact that they have forgotten the promises of God. They have the promises of God, but they have forgotten those promises. They've not continually reminded themselves of those promises, and because they have not reminded themselves of those promises, 
The Bible tells us in chapter number 17 and verse number 6, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in, their, in his own eyes. Understand when it makes that statement that every man did that which was right. That word right means the same thing that it means to do right. They actually thought that what they were doing was right. They thought they were standing upright. They thought they were doing right, but they were not doing right. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And they were doing that because they had forgotten the promises of God. What did God promise back in Genesis chapter number 3? He promised that He would send the Savior. What did He promise the children of Israel down through all of these times? He promised them over and over and over and over again that there was going to be a king. He even told them that the king was going to come out of the tribe of Judah. He gave them those promises God coveted with them over and over and over again as we walk through the Scripture, but we come to the book of Judges and we find the children of Israel not reminding themselves of the promises of God. And as they do not remind themselves of the promises of God, we find four times in the Word of God, we find two here in the book of Judges, and we find two in the book of Proverbs where every man did what was right in his own eyes. In chapter number 17 and verse number 6, we find a statement that we just read, that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Again, you'll find it in chapter number 21 and verse number 25, that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You'll find in the book of Proverbs that it tells us that the fool does that which is right in their own eyes. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 2 that man does that which is right in his own eyes. Have you ever asked the question, how could they do that? You look around and you see someone doing something and you look and you say, how in the world could anybody do that? The reason they do that is they're doing what's right in their own eyes. There's no one that has ever just openly said, I'm going to do this because I know it's wrong. They're doing what they're doing. They're living like they're living because they feel like it is right in their own eyes. They have persuaded themselves that what they're doing is right. And they persuaded themselves that, hey, there's nothing wrong with this. We get the mentality, and America gets the mentality, if it, if it feels good, do it. Follow your heart. We've got all these statements that are out there, and it's just a matter of people doing what's right in their own eyes. They're finding their own way. They're doing their own thing. There's songs that have been written about that. I did it my way. We've, we, we've heard those songs, we've heard those phrases, and the fact is, the reason people do that is because they have not been taught, they have not been told, or they do not remember the promises that God has given. 
We've looked at these insufficient saviors throughout the book of Judges. We found that each one of these that was sent to be a savior for Israel was an insufficient savior. They could not, they could not fully do what the children of Israel needed to be done. What is that? That the children of Israel needed to be saved. They could not fully do that. They could help them physically. They could help them get out of a situation they were in, but they could not bring them to a point to where what they were in was done away with. There's only one that could do that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen in the book of Judges these saviors that came and how they were insufficient. What does that have to do with us? Why would we even do a study of the book of Judges? We want to do that study because all of those insufficient saviors are there for a reason to point us to the sufficient Savior. I may invite you this morning to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at some things that if we lose sight of, we will walk down the same road that the children of Israel walked down. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, and we're going to read verse number 14 down through chapter number 7, or, or, yeah, chapter number, let me make sure I'm in the right place. Chapter number 6 and verse number 14. And we're going to go down to chapter number 7 and verse number 1. Look at what it says here. It said, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Paul is showing us the contrast of right and wrong. He said, what? We're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Look at what he says in verse number 1 of chapter number 7. Having therefore, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How is he instructing us that we are to perfect holiness and walk in the fear of God? 
He said, having therefore these promises. What promises? He said, having therefore these promises, those promises go back up to chapter number 6 and look at what he says in verse number 17. In verse number 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then he tells us, because of this, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be son, my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He said, having therefore, having therefore the promises of God. He instructs us in verse number 16. There are four things that we have promises of that we find in verse number 16 down through verse number 18. Number one, we have the divine indwelling of God. Look at what he tells us there in verse number 16. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell, what? In them. We are the temple of God. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have that promise. You and I do not have to walk this walk alone. We do not have to live this life alone. We have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. You say, I battle with this sin or I battle with that sin. We all battle with sin. Why do we battle with sin? We battle with sin because we forget the promises of God. That's the reason we come together. That's the reason we're here this morning. We're reminding ourselves once again that we have the divine indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in us. The Holy Spirit of God goes with us everywhere we go. We're saved by the grace of God. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We do not have to live this life on our own. But so much of the time we try to live it on our own. We try to do it on our own. Why? Because our flesh is bent that way. We're bent to do it on our own. We're bent to get up in the morning and start out our day and forget about God. That's just, our flesh does that. We have to remind ourselves when we sit up on the side of the bed, we have to remind ourselves we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We have God dwelling in us. We have the divine indwelling of God in us. We don't walk this alone. He tells us also that we have the divine communion of God. Look at what he tells us there again in verse number 16. He said, I will dwell in them. And then he said, I will walk in them. I made the statement, we don't have to walk this life alone, and we don't because He walks it in us. He is walking in us. 
daily He goes with us. The Holy Spirit of God is there with us. God is dwelling in us and God is communing with us and God wants to commune with us. We need to remind ourselves of that. We need to be reminded this morning. We need to be reminded this afternoon. We need to remind ourselves in the morning. We need to remind ourselves tonight. We need to remind ourselves when we eat lunch. We need to remind ourselves after we eat lunch. We have the indwelling of the Spirit of God, and God wants to commune with us. God wants to reveal His promises to us. And God wants us to remember His promises. As we remember those promises and as we understand those promises and as we look to those promises and as we recall those promises, it's easier not to do evil. (laughs) Can we all just agree this morning that we can wake up and decide we don't want to do evil today, but if we don't remember the promises of God and we're not reminded of the promises of God and we're not reminded that He's indwelling in us and we're not reminded that He's walking with us, we're going to sin. We just are. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The safest place for me The ultimate safest place for me is right here, right now. Why? I'm not tempted with sin this morning. Not when I'm here with you. Not when I'm singing the songs that we sing. Not when I'm gathered around the Word of God. I'm not tempted with sin. But when I walk out those doors, I'm going to be. So I need to remember what I've been reminded of as I come in here and we gather together, reminding each other of the indwelling of God, reminding each other of the communion with God, that He's walking in us, that He's walking with us. Look at what He tells us again. He said, and I will be their God. We not only have the divine indwelling, we not only have the divine uh, communion with God, but we have a divine covenant Let me ask you this morning. Can God lie? Can God change? We know that from Scripture. We've been told that He cannot change. We've been told that He cannot lie. We've been told that He's perfect. We've been told that He's holy. And God said here, I will be their God. God's my God. What a blessing. God made a covenant with me that He would be my God. I remember the day that I got married. I remember turning around when those doors opened up and that whatever that prelude march, whatever you want to call it, whenever that started to play and I turned around. I was looking this way and I turned around and looked this way and my my wife is coming down the aisle. What a blessed day. There was not, had never been and never has been a more beautiful thing than my wife when she walked down the aisle. Just wasn't. 
I mean, I'm sitting up there, and Brother Ricky, I'm having to wipe tears out of my eyes because I'm thinking, what a blessing. She's going to be my wife. Not somebody else's. She's going to be my wife. Can I just tell you this morning that God is your God. He's your God. If you're saved by the grace of God, He's my God. He coveted with me. He made a promise to me. I'm not having to walk this life alone. He's my God. And I can cling to that divine covenant that God made with me. He's going to be, He's not going to be, He is my God. And because of that, if I remind myself of that, it make it a whole lot easier for me to battle against sin. If I just remind myself that I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I have divine communion, I have a divine covenant that God is going to be my God, and God promises not only is He going to be my God, but look in verse number 18. He said, And I will be a father unto them, and they shall be my sons and daughters. This wasn't said by just anybody. The Apostle Paul said, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Paul said, I'm not just writing this down. This is what God said. God said, these are going to be my sons and my daughters. Can I just be honest with you? Don't mess with my children. I love my children. You may not care a thing about them. I love them. They may not be all right. They may do things that are wrong, and I know they do, and they make me angry sometimes, but I love them. They're my children, and I'll fight for them. And if you think for one moment that I would fight for my children and God would not fight for His children, you're badly mistaken. Do you know what God did for you? His Son, His only begotten Son, took upon Himself your sin and my sin. He drunk the cup of wrath that God had that was going to be poured out because of our sin. And his son drank it. Why? Because he's my father. And because he's my father, Jesus is my brother. I don't know whether that's doing anything for you this morning, but it's sort of charging my heart to understand that if I remind myself of the fact that I'm a child of the King, and I'm a, I, listen, I'm not only a child of the King, but I am a brother of the Prince. Amen. Do you know what? <laughs> if we could understand. That God loves us with a father's love. If you've got children, you understand 
what's being said here. You understand in a, in a minute way what's being said here. God loves me with a father's love. God guides me with a father's care. <laughs> Have any of us just told our children, okay, now here's a rattlesnake pit. I want you to just jump in. We're, we don't do that. We guide them with care. We try to give them advice to, to, to ward them off of things and, and, and get them in a way in a place where it's the safest place for them. God guides us with a father's care. He cares for us. He told us to bring our cares unto Him, our burdens unto Him, and give them to Him. Why? Because He cares for us. He loves us with a Father's love. He guides us with a Father's care. He protects us with a Father's watchfulness. I'm a father. Brother John, I'm always looking out to see if there's anything out there that's going to harm my family. And I try to warn them. I try to guide them away from that. And I try, if I can get it completely out of their way, I'll get it out of their way. Why? Because you protect them with a father's watchfulness. God protects me with a father's watchfulness. The Bible, Paul tells us in another place, he said, there has no temptation taken you, but such is common unto man. But God will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with that temptation make a way of an escape. Why? Because he's protecting us. With a father's watchfulness. He instructs us with a father's wisdom. What did we see when we did a study in the book of James? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask what? Let him ask of God, who gives unto everyone and upbraideth not. He's not going to withhold it from you, it's there for the asking. Why? Because he's our God. He bears us with patience of a father. How many times have our fathers been patient with us? God is patient with you and God is patient with me. Why? Because he loves me as a father. And here's the blessing. He longs for us with a father's longing. There is nothing, Brother Ricky, there's nothing that does my heart better than when our family gets together and I see my children communing with each other and laughing and joking and enjoying one another. That longing to see that communion. 
There's times that I don't get to see my children for a period of time. And when I do get to see them, it's a blessing. It's a longing. You want to see them. I've been blessed and my children will periodically call me. And I get to talk to them. That's a blessing. I don't have to go long periods of time without talking to my children. I've, I've, I've heard of people that were, 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 I don't even know what the word is you'd call it, but are separated from their children for years and years and years before they talk to each other. I don't know how you could go that way. God longs for us with a father's longing. What did Jesus say? He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go and prepare that place so that I can come again and there you will be with me. Every once in a while we get a longing to see God, but God has a longing to see us. God has a longing to be with us. God has a longing. He has prepared a, a he has prepared not just a place but he's put, prepared an eternity for us. We can do certain things for our children. We can we can give them a place to live. We can do this or we can do that. There's not one of us that, that can prepare an eternity for our children. But we have a Father that has prepared an eternity for us. These things that we find in, this, in the, these verses of Scripture, the divine indwelling, the divine communion, the divine covenant, the divine adoption, that we are the children of God, that we have been adopted, these are promises. They're not future promises their promises that we have right now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to have these things. I have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. I have communion with God. I have a God that has coveted with me to be my God. I have a God that cares enough for me. He has adopted me and became my Father. You say, why did we deal with this this morning? The children of Israel forgot the promises of God. And they did that which was right in their own eyes. Let's remember the promises that we have of God. We have His indwelling. We have His communion. We have His covenant. We have His adoption. These are promises and cares that we have right now. Let's remember them so that when we walk out that door, we can remember who we are and whose we are. I grew up with my parents and my grandparents making the statement, remember who you are. Can I tell you this morning, when you walk out these doors, remember who you are. 
Don't even don't only remember who you are, but you remember more importantly whose you are. You're his. And he loves you with a father's love, guides you with a father's care, protects you with a father's watchfulness, instructs you with a father's wisdom, bears you with a father's patience, and longs you longs for you with a father's longing. And if we'll remind ourselves of those things, this walk can be a lot easier than if we forget them. Let's pray.